Hi, this is Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. This podcast is a mixture of interviews, coaching sessions, and personal development content. You'll hear me chat with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life as a result of working through their insecurity. You'll hear brave souls being willing to have a live coaching demonstration recorded where they work through their insecurity. And you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high-quality personal development content to help you on your journey. I hope you find it useful. Now on to today's show. Hey, it's Jamin. You're on the Insecurity Project, and I have the privilege of chatting today with my good friend, Sally Dooley. Now, over 20 years, Sally has worked with thousands of leaders and individuals in government, private, and community sectors, both as a partner with key businesses and as a director of her own consultancy business. She specialised in a wide range of leadership, people management, and personal personal development areas. Her experience working with a broad range of organisations has given her an in-depth understanding of current leadership issues and organisational challenges. Uh, Sally's a highly engaging and experienced facilitator, speaker, and executive coach. Sally has a Master's in Training and Development and also is an international best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and speaker coach. That's a very impressive run sheet, Sally, and it's a real treat to be able to chat with you today on the Insecurity Project. So thanks for being willing to to be interviewed. Thank you, Jamin. Now it feels like there's some expectation I have to deliver. (laughs) Oh, of course. Thank you, (laughs) Prune. No, I'm sure you'll have lots of value to share out of your own journey and the insights you've developed. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so insecurity is is the topic of the conversation, the topic of the podcast. And, um, you know, all part of solving the insecurity problem, both at an individual level and a global level. I think it's an important problem to work through and one that severely affects so many people and and left untreated leads to madness. So, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this specific topic and your own journey. And as I've done with all other guests, love to start where it started for you and, and question you about... Uh, what it was like growing up in your home and kind of where you started in life. Did your parents uh, instill great confidence and security and self-esteem in you or were they um, absent in that role and you kind of had just had to work it out on yourself? Can, can you tell us a bit about, uh, yeah, your parents' involvement in shaping your thoughts and beliefs about yourself? Yes, yeah. So really interesting. I guess everyone's is interesting. Um, my my parents were quite different from each other, and um, I think that there were some similarities as well. So a really strong message in my household um, growing up was that you can do anything you, you put your mind to. Um, you're intelligent. Um, in fact, quite funny, I can't remember if I've told you this, Jamie, but um, so my parents were both educators um, yeah. and so at that time they had access to information about us like our IQ, for example. And, oh, um, right. and I, can, <laughs> I can remember my dad sitting, um, sitting my older brother and I down and drawing a, you know, a, a bell curve, you know, like distribution curve, yeah. and I saying, now this, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, this is where you sit. So, um, so you can do anything that you want, and um, so with that came a great message of of confidence, of self belief, 
Um, just just to clarify, so you were at the uh, you were at the um, pointy end of that bell was, curve. That's where he was plotting us. Who, who knew what? Um, <laughs> maybe he was just trying to boost our confidence. But you know, there was that. That was a very very strong message. You can do whatever you want. Um, and wow. also, I guess a, a bit of an expectation that you know that that you also perform well. Yeah. So. Um, so, so that was kind of the, the one thing. Um, I think the other thing was that he very much modelled through his life, um, you know, that extreme optimism, take risks, keep moving forward, um, keep challenging yourself, and um, and and that was really, really, that was really powerful. I really appreciated. Um, probably not growing up at the time, but you know, as I've gone through my life, I really appreciated that optimistic um, belief, that optimistic outlook, um, which I think yeah. I very much um, acquired, and also that just you can do it, go for it message, which you know he um, he passed away a couple of years ago, and you know I've really oh, right. noticed that that lack of I really miss that voice, um, and he also uh, was a great a firmer, um, just kind of personally, like you could uh, even, you know, right up until the end into the hospital visit, you know, um, you could never see Dad without him saying, oh, you look fantastic today. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's so just very positive, you know, and, oh, that's an excellent meal you just cooked or, you know, whatever it is, he very much modelled that. So, um, so really, really appreciated that. Um, I think he came from a very tough background, very poor. He got had polio when he was only um, eight years old and had to spend six months uh, in Sydney away from his town in hospital and, um, you know, his parents could only afford to visit, you know, infrequently. So um, so I think he got a really early appreciation for life and first one to get a degree, um, a master's degree uh, and, you know, really rise to the top of his um, profession as an educator. So um, so that that was kind of one aspect and I think my mum was very much an achiever, she still is, um, and, um, and really going going for it as well. And again, that, that positive message. So that's all the, on, the, on the upside. Uh, in terms of um, what's, what was modelled or there was very much a sense of keep everybody happy um, yeah, right. And prefer others. Um, people pleasing um, was a really, really strong root in my life. Um, as a result, um, almost to the point of you know of de-selfing and um, a de-selfing, de-selfing. You know, um, putting other people's priorities, values, preferences so far above your own. Um, that yours really don't count. Um, mm. So that was that was something that 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 I felt you know early on and and, and, and absorbed into my kind of values and mindset. Um, and also, you know, make sure you make sure you look right, do the right thing. You know, appearances. Um, being right was also important, of course, but but there was. Very much this, um, you know, put your best, put do the right thing. The right thing was really important. Look the right way, okay. say the right thing, do the right thing, um, mm. and you'll be safe. 
Hmm. So um, I'm always interested about the meaning you place on those things and the kind of story you develop for your own life because um, obviously whether the input is good or bad or positive or negative, um, we still have to decide what it means and what we're going to do with it. So what was that? the impact of those, uh, you know, overt messages and the subtle uh, tones that were being given to you? What, what did you make that mean growing up in that house about who you were and what you were really capable of? Um, I think I probably... I think two things that, that weren't particularly helpful were that I um, have a slightly rebellious nature. <laughs> that just sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? Uh, but I, I probably chose to to pull back. So, um, so I refused to go to university once I left school, um, and until I was ready, and then I did it my way. You know, did my did my my um, undergraduate degree part time while I worked. Um, and you know, just wanted that that independence, so not to be doing it for for somebody else. Um, and I rebelled in a whole range of other ways too. Um, and I think there was that looking for approval, um, so and looking and seeking to please other people. So my so my friendships and my relationships were all about um, approval and getting that getting that people pleasing. Um, Met, need met. So, for example, my best friend, um, all the way during during high school, um, she had this saying, which was off a TV show that I can't remember, but that we watched at the time. And the saying was, "Can I bend you to my will?" Um, <laughs> and um, and of course, sounds like the witch or something. <laughs> it was some, you know, London society. Um, okay historic kind of um, show that we... I can't remember what it was called. It was a very funny show, series. and But it was this, can I bend you to my will? And, um, and of course, she knew she could, absolutely, without question. Mm. So, um, yeah. So there was that kind of just really... I guess what I felt was I was like a chameleon. I adapted myself to whoever people wanted me to be. So very careful not to have opinions or um, with, with my friendship in my family it was quite different I, I always spoke my mind um, quite strongly probably everybody would say perhaps a little too strongly um, and yeah so during those during those years mm, so it sounds like you developed a really external strategy to kind of feel like you mattered and that you were good if you could keep everyone happy and you could do the right things look the right way, say the right things, um, then you were okay. And it sounds like you worked pretty hard to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, you know, as you as you say, that was my way of of making you know making sense of it. You know, I was really privileged to grow up in a family that that really genuinely loved each other and supported each other, and um, and had you know really valued that that sense of family and being there for each other and, you know, all the wonderful things that um, that we experienced as a family. We holidayed a lot, we travelled a lot. So there were, you know, lots of really, really um, positive things in there as well. Mm, okay. 
So obviously, you know, for you to be where you are now, you've, you've had to get to a place where you are much more uh, comfortable, confident and secure in who you are as an individual and what it means to be you rather than, you know, doing what everyone else thinks you should or shouldn't be doing. So yeah. I'm interested in the, in the process of what changed for you or, you know, how did you find a way to kind of break out of that strategy and to deal with that insecurity so that you could be relaxed, confident, comfortable? Yeah, uh, good question. So I'm not sure how, you know, what what your thinking is uh, around this, Jamie, but I guess in my kind of reading and the way that, um, that I see things, there's quite a difference between confidence, you know, which is that, that self-efficacy, that that your belief in your capacity to do something, to achieve whatever it is. So the difference between that and, and self-esteem, which is the, I like the Nathaniel Brandon definition, you know, it's the value basically that we place on ourselves. Yeah. So I think for me, my self-confidence, and of course they're, they're very much um, intertwined, um, but... And this is something I noticed working with a lot of um, a lot of women who who've achieved achieved successfully. It's kind of possible to have that high level of self confidence, that that belief that you can do things, that you can be an achiever, that you can keep going, but at the same time have a low self esteem in the fact that you know you suffer from imposter syndrome, you don't value yourself, and um, and you allow other people to determine your self esteem. Does that, does that sit with you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's a really cool distinction. I hadn't seen it quite like that before. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I like it. So, so you had that confidence to be able to go and do yeah. what you needed to do, but the self-esteem underpinning that wasn't there. Wasn't there, exactly. And, and I think you, mm. can, you can survive like that you know, quite well for, for quite a long yeah. time, but I think um, there's always that that point of, of reckoning where you, where you, you kind of hit the limit of your self-esteem. Um, and and it's not an easy way to, to, to live anyway because, of course, although I've got the self-confidence to, you know, so I had sort of quite a lot of early success in the, in the public service, you know, landed in my career accidentally um, just through an opportunity Um and so, you know, was was constantly taking risks on a very steep learning learning um, curve. Um, but so I could do it, and I kept doing it, and I kept learning, and I kept growing. But the self doubt and the, um, the self judgment and the I'm going to be a disaster, and you know, all that internal yeah. self talk uh, that goes on when your when your self esteem is low. Um, you know, that was a lot to battle in an ongoing way, I guess. Oh, of course, I mean I I liken it to driving with the handbrake on. I think yeah. you, know, you definitely can do that. Um, your car will still go forward, but there's this massive resistance slowing you down and making you very, very yeah. inefficient. Um, so yeah. at some point, for the sake of your car, for the sake of uh, you know everything that you want to do, there's got to be this right. Am I going to continue to drive with this handbrake on, or is there a way to take that handbrake off? So yeah, totally agree. And so, was there a was there a escalation of that pain to a point where it went right? I I can't keep going on like this, or was it a gradual thing for you, in order to kind of really get to the bottom of that self esteem and make some change? I think it was both. Um, I think I'd become aware. 
for a couple of years that I was very um, disconnected. You know, I felt I felt disconnected from myself. I felt disconnected in my relationships. Um, I really felt that I was going through the motion. Um, and some some things kind of happened in my in my marriage in my in my personal world that um, that really highlighted the fact that um, things were very unhealthy that I tolerated what I shouldn't tolerate and you know I started to get that so it came to a crisis point where decisions had to be made um, but at the same time leading up to that there was that that growing awareness that. I'm actually not valuing myself here, and and it was interesting. A couple, and this is where I got this this clarity around what's the difference between self confidence and self esteem, um, because I very much kept the reason I was so disconnected was because I uh, I didn't ever share any of my stories of you know what what my experience was, um, yeah, sure. and and when I when I started to you know when 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 you know things look like the marriage was over, et cetera. Um, and I started to share some stories with um, with those closest to me. And I remember talking with my with my best friend on one occasion and, my, and my, my mother on another occasion. And they both had the same response. They both said, why didn't you ever, you know, why didn't you ever tell tell us? Did you, didn't you trust us? And, mm-hmm. and the comment I made was, well, and I realised, well, it wasn't really about not telling you. It was about not telling me, you know. And wow. and so, you know, you can you can disconnect from yourself so that you can tolerate stuff that perhaps you shouldn't be tolerating. But the other thing um, that my friend said, you know, was that she had this image of me very much as, you know, someone who would achieve, who would set high goals, who would keep going. And so, therefore, that I had a very high self-esteem. And so she oh, was right. very surprised. So she was very surprised that I would tolerate something that she would never tolerate. And um, and on reflection, it just kind of got me thinking. And I was like, "Yeah, right. Why? What, what's that all about?" And I realised that. Um, and I was doing a lot of reading around all of this at the same time. And I was also um, with part of my part of my research. I did a year long research project. For my masters, um, so it was kind of doing that academic reading around it as well, and just really seeing this distinction between the self-esteem and um, and the self-confidence. Hmm. And yeah, um, that, and I guess that yeah, go. Oh, sorry, I was just I just want to really highlight that point you're making because I think it's it's quite brilliant that um, the disconnect happens when you operate out of that self-confidence. Um, when the reality is so different and there's no substance to be underpinning that. And so then you just mm-hmm. have to play a role and put on a mask and the reality of how you're feeling is so squashed down and so distant from your persona of and projection of confidence that it's mm. very removed from reality. And so that disconnect would become massive. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was. And it was so. There was really, at, as a result of that, um, I would say a complete rebuild um, of sure. Just before of my the identity, so, really. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think one of the conditions for for really sorting out the insecurity problem is uh, a full assessment of pain. Like, I think pain is 
uh, an essential aspect of all change work. Yeah. Um, so it seems like you actually started to listen to your pain rather than disconnect from it and separate it. It felt like you went, oh, my goodness, there is a world of pain beneath the surface that I've been running from. Yeah. And yeah. when you actually faced that pain and felt the full weight of it, it was then that you went, okay, well, there's some work to be done here and I can't really keep going on. Like, Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And it's that... Um, that I forget who said it, but you know that we that we change when the pain to the pain to change is greater than the pain that it takes to stay the same. Um, yeah. And that was very much the case for me. You know, uh, it was only when it reached that point that um, that I was able to, you know, to make that make that shift. Yeah, sure. So obviously, there's going to be some massive pain in changing, but the pain of staying where you were was now incredibly strong and real and you couldn't survive that pain anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Yeah, nice. So tell us about the rebuild. Tell us about the process of actually addressing that self esteem issue and finding your way through that process. I think um it's it's like when you suddenly see I just suddenly saw my whole life um through a different lens and started to get that understanding um, about the degree to which I hadn't actually taken responsibility and ownership for my life um, and and my self-esteem. I realised that I was highly uh, codependent and um, which was not something that I had... I had seen about myself before. How, how do you define codependence? Just just to make sure that everyone understands that term. Um, so I define codependence. At, well, I love um, I love. And this is how strong denial is. Um, I did a counselling course years ago. Probably, um, gosh, my son was a baby. He turned twenty yesterday, so um, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And the book was called Standing Up Straight, and um, okay. and I remember reading it, and and thinking about you know how I read it before I started the course, thinking about how codependent everybody else in my life was, um, and then I read it yeah, later yeah. in the year, and I realised oh actually I'm quite codependent in some other other relationships, but I but I didn't ever see that it, there was a codependency in in my marriage until yeah, until right. it was um, over. So denial is incredibly, you know, it's a protection strategy in sure. some ways that it tries to stop us from getting hurt. But the um, the metaphor, the analogy they use in, in Standing Up Straight is that, you know, those, um, those clowns, those puncher clowns, they're inflatable and you, you punch them and they, they move and they sway, you know, according to where they get punched. Um, yep. And it's like, other people uh, like, like they just create this magnetic force field around this around this person, and the person is just kind of punched or moved in the direction of other people. So instead of standing up straight, being their own person, their own identity, in their own truth, um, you know, they they're pulled towards other people. So keeping other people happy, um, taking responsibility for other people's lives. So trying mm. to help them trying to fix them um and so what often happens is in their taking 
in them taking responsibility for their own lives, for their other people's lives. They actually don't take responsibility for their own life. Um, you know, they're so busy helping everybody else get stuff together. Um, they don't get their own stuff together. Yeah, well, and the codependent part of it obviously is the people you're helping love to be helped. So you yes. love helping them, they love being helped, and this cycle just keeps yeah. going on and on, all the while you're yeah. avoiding taking responsibility yeah. for your own stuff and standing up straight. That's exactly right. Um, and, yeah, so so that was kind of the, the realisation, and I realised, you know, even you know, my choice of undergraduate degree. So, you know, when I grew up, I wanted to be a nurse and I wanted to be a teacher then I wanted to be a youth worker. And so my undergraduate degree was in accounting. You're right. <laughs> Bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, for sure. And, and the reason that that, um, that I did accounting was because um, my boyfriend, who would become my husband, was one day going to go into business. And we had some friends, and he was in biz- he ha- he owned the business, or they they owned the business together. You know, he did all the businessy stuff, and um, and his wife did all the all the financial, all the accounting, all the yeah, books. Wow. And perfect model, except um, for my skill set is not about details, numbers, or anything like that. Um, yeah. And I did realise as I you know failed accounting too. Um, and computing studies all in the same semester, that perhaps this wasn't my life journey. Uh, but but that's just an example of how, yeah. you know, disconnected I allowed myself to become um, because I wanted, you know, that relationship that would make me feel accepted and approved and, um, you know, would meet that, meet that gap there. Wow. Um, okay, so you identified that codependence and how did you break it off? How did you change it? So I think there were a number of things I did. I think I became really aware of my self-talk, um, you know, the ways that 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 my thinking was framed around, um, you know, I, I probably didn't even, didn't even know what my preferences were. I, I was so used to uh, not paying any attention to what I wanted in the situation. So starting to actually go, actually, my needs are really important. And in fact, you know, my needs are as important as your needs and starting to be that advocate for myself. And the realisation that I had there was that if I take action for me, that's not necessarily, that's not coming from a place of wanting to take action against you. Yeah, right. But that I need to be able to take action for me as well. And that was a huge reframe, reframe for me. Yeah, that's massive. And... Um, it is, and because it was so massive, you know, I had little reminders around the place to just keep. So, for example, I even changed the password um, to something that would actually, you know, a password that I used all the time um, that would that would remind me of, you know, what my new thinking pattern was. Uh, so it's really, that's really that reinforcement. The, yeah, it's beautiful. It's really counter to the people pleasing mentality, which is. All action I take must be action for you, so that you're happy. Yeah. And if any any yeah. action is against you, then I'm bad. Um, so you're yeah. really directly countering that by saying, "Or oh, hang on, how did you frame it again?" Just to make sure I've got that action for me is not necessarily action against you. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. When I'm acting for me, um, I'm not acting against you. So yeah, it's right. removing that, you know, because I guess. 
I grew up, you should act for other people. Yeah, um, for sure. So I had to give give myself permission um, to act for me, and um, and that was a that was a hard thing to do. It was, just felt uncomfortable. It felt so wrong um, yeah. in just so many ways. Um, so that was That's one. Great. That was one thing. Yeah. What else? I think the other thing that I did was to um, to start acting. So, the, so getting you thinking, but then you've actually got to start acting, acting in yeah. um, with your with your new thinking, and um, so start actively taking some risks. And um, and so, what is what is the way I'd like to be thinking in this situation? I'm going to act on that thought. And when we do that, we get we often get feedback that reinforces uh, that that new thinking, and so you're creating this kind of positive spiral. I can give you an example if you like. Be great. Um, so around that time, I was attending a um, a training program in the in the states. Um, so it was a number of trips over to America it was with um Jack Canfield who's known as uh known famously as the one of the authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Yeah. Um but his actual work is in training and coaching and um you know and um people learning development, human potential. And so I it was kinda of, I think it was the very first um one of these seminars that I went to. There was about sixty uh, facilitators and coaches from around the world and uh, we were going to have to do a three-minute talk in just smaller groups and um, and then all of a sudden he decides and we'd been working on these all week and he uh, decided he'd get somebody up on stage um, to to demonstrate and you know a bunch of trainers every other time during the week everyone had put up their hand as soon as he called for a volunteer uh, but this yeah. time nobody did and yeah. um, <laughs> we felt a bit Felt a bit scary, and I was sitting in the front row and uh, foolishly made eye contact with him. And he said, "So are you going to do it?" And I went, "Maybe." <laughs> and he said, "Ah, I see you come from the land of almost." And um, and it really felt like a, a sledge, like a knife went in when he said that. Yeah. And I realised that I almost do a lot of things. Um, but the fear of judgment, the fear of not being good enough, you know, the fear of all these self-talk that usually go through my head prevented me. And I thought, in that moment, I thought, okay, how do I want to think about this? And um, and I got up on the stage and I did it. So I had to do my three-minute talk. Then I had to get positive feedback, say, standing up there. Then I had to get negative feedback, you know, what I could have done better. And then I had to redo it, incorporating some of that um, negative feedback. So it was about, you know, the worst 15 minutes of my life, it felt, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for the rest of the year, whenever we got together, people would always say, that was amazing, Sally, you really are a fantastic speaker and blah, 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 blah. You know, they were being kind, I'm sure. But but what it did was, you know, up until then, I think all the success and compliments and, you know, nice feedback that you get, I always had a, a story about, well, you know, I just landed in the right place and, you know, I'm just lucky and I'm, and I'm not really any good mm. and, you know, all that imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. But being overseas where, you know, in a group I didn't know, people I'd never met before, 
it really started to reinforce that belief, um, you know, that maybe this is something that, that I've got some skills in and, and should um, should pursue. Amazing. So the the principle there was taking action around some of this thinking, even if you don't feel fully prepared or don't have it all Absolutely. sorted out, just go do some stuff and get that yeah. feedback happening and yeah. keep building on what you're doing and strengthening those thoughts rather than if you don't take any action, those thoughts have no ability to be strengthened and they'll more likely be Absolutely. weakened. It just becomes impossible. Yeah. And over time, you know, change happens. We do, we can't get rid of old neural pathways. We can't change them, old neural mm. pathways that we've got established in our brain, um, as I'm sure you know, but we can grow new ones. And the more we use those new ones, um, eventually the old ones just literally shrivel up and disappear out of our brain. Um, yeah. And it's such, just such a powerful thing to know, even from that neuroscience perspective, that we can live one way. I lived this way for 45 years, you know. Um, yeah. And, and you know, it's only been the last, you know, seven years that I've really worked really solidly, really hardly. It's not easy to make these massive changes. Um, and I'm still on the journey, absolutely. Um, but I know that, you know, the change is really is really possible. I think the other thing that I did, um, because at this time too I was starting um, my business and um, so, you know, my whole personal world is in absolute tatters. You know, I'm trying to bring four kids through this, uh, teenagers, a lot of them were at the time, um, mm. and it was drama, it was intense. Um, and, you know, my business is standing up in front of groups talking. Um, and so you kind of need to be in a good space uh, you need to have your energy high you need to be positive and so one of the things that I really focused on was that you know that that sense of state you know managing your state and um, yeah. and so the, the thinking we've talked about but the other thing was you know my posture my body my you know how I was showing up and and doing all those things you know to what is a confident what is a positive um body posture look like right now in this context and so that kind of doing that people say fake it till you make it which I don't like I can't do that in authenticity but I would say mm. be it until you see it so I would yeah, put it on right. until it became real and um, you know all of Amy Cuddy I'm not sure if you know her work yeah yeah for sure around yeah around how your body your body posture actually changes your brain chemistry um, and I just really found that that really really useful as well Sorry, I'm probably that's talking so way out. too much, Jamin. No, no, that's that's fantastic. That's very useful. Uh, I may have come across twelve rules, an antidote. Uh, 12, twelve rules for life, an antidote to chaos by Jordan Peterson. No, I haven't seen that book floating around. It's um, no. quite quite recently released. But his first rule for life is stand tall with your head up, and it's yeah. just exactly what you mentioned there that um, to break out of. <laughs> seeing yourself as weak and insignificant and no value, um, you really do need to lead with your body because um, until you can see yourself as a winner and see yourself as someone of value and when you look in the mirror, you you see strength. Well, no one else will ever give you that feedback either. No one else would ever see you like that. So it begins this feedback loop where you yeah. start, you have to start and you start with your body. So Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah, people often so, underestimate so the value of yeah leading with their body. So 
Um, no, that's, that's yeah, fantastic. That's good. So, in order to maintain this, and you said, you know, obviously, obviously, you're still on the journey, and which we all are, because it's not like you ever get there. There are always new challenges and new levels of learning and growth. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. what are the what are some of the the daily practices and rituals and and things that you find useful in staying sharp and and really staying at your best and not um, allowing lack of self-esteem to manifest again? Yeah, I think that um, what I do now as as that kind of maintenance thing is, I, I think that the role of reflection um, is absolutely critical. So to spend time being still and thinking about the day, thinking about, you know, what was my thinking like today? Um, you know, was I procrastinating? Because, of course, when you fear judgment and self-doubt and, you know, the, the, and when you're not confident, um, the end result of that is usually procrastination in one form or another. You know, why was I procrastinating? What, what was I? What stories were was I telling myself at that moment yeah. um, that stopped me from making that call or, you know, following through on whatever it is or you know writing or whatever, um, and just to just to notice and drill down. I think because I lived so disconnected for such a long time, reflection wasn't something um, that I was that I ever engaged in. Um, so I journal um, and. Those sorts of questions, but the other critical thing, and um, and I'll have to be very honest, Jamin, and say that I'm not very good at this. Um, I tell my coaching oh. clients, I tell my um, <laughs> my participants on my workshops this all the time, but I it's something that I really have to recall, and I need a reminder to do it more often. But it's so critical to acknowledge success. Um, so instead of your reflection being around what it, what you know what's that stuff up today, what did I do really poorly in, uh, what could I have done better, but it's probably even more critical to say what did I do well. Um, the way that we build our confidence, that self-efficacy, that belief in our capacity to succeed, is by acknowledging success. Because every time we acknowledge success, our belief in our capacity to succeed is expanded. Um, mm. And so, you know, the researchers talk about even tiny um, amounts of progress help to keep us motivated, engaged and feeling successful. So the expression success breeds success uh, is actually really true um, from from that perspective. So I try and remember to, to acknowledge myself for what I did well. Uh, in fact, in the earlier days and even now sometimes when I'm going through a difficult time, you know, and often when you know when the pressure's on, you, know, you can go back to um, to old tricks, which is not necessarily good. And so Jack Canfield has a um, what he calls a mirror exercise, and yeah. you have to do it for um, for forty days. And you end of the day uh, usually works well. You eyeball yourself in the mirror, and you know just run through a little conversation with yourself about what you did well. You know. What um, disciplines did I stick to? You know, who was I kind to? You know, you can frame the questions to whatever suits you. And um, and then eyeball yourself and say, I love you. And yeah. so, you know, I value you. And so it's that building yourself confidence and building yourself esteem. Beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, powerful stuff. And it seems that there's a theme emerging from all that you're saying that... Um, this stuff may and often does feel hard and different and foreign when you're starting it. 
But the yeah. more you do it, the more it becomes part of you and the more it becomes the default setting. And there is no easy way to start any of this. There's no, you don't no. end up perfect with any skill that you just begin with. So the idea of starting where you are um, with small steps in any of these areas and the progress builds momentum. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that I would say, and, you know, this is very much something that I did, was I needed help. You know, I, this was yeah. not a journey um, that I was equipped in any way to undertake alone. And um, and so, you know, I had a counsellor. Um, I've had various coaches, you, of course, being uh, a fantastic one. And, you know, some of the... Um, some of the, the ways that, like, I can just remember one in particular, Jane, in one conversation about um, when I was considering taking on a, a paid role and, and stepping away from um, from my business and my thinking around that, that that you were exploring, I don't know if you can remember it, and um, and we sort of came up with this, um, you know, who's the prize um, mm. kind of, thinking and that you know I'd been thinking about you know the other person was a prize and I needed to do what they said or else I was going to miss out on business opportunities and blah 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 um, and I needed to do that reframe to go well no actually I'm the prize in this situation and I've got skills I've got value um, and I'm going to decide and take action for me and um, which I did and, and I didn't you know go ahead with um with that, with that offer, I stuck with my business, and there were no negative impacts. And in fact, the feedback that I got, you know, when when I was discussing it with this person, was that look, we value you. We just want to continue to work with you, and um, you know, anytime you change your mind, you know, let us know. There's always a place here for you. And it was like, wow, I am the prize. <laughs> you know, who yeah. you? <laughs> so, I can still, I still vividly remember that phone conversation. I can picture exactly where I was. Uh, sitting yeah. in a shopping centre car park underground somewhere oh, really? uh, talking to you through that, that concept. So, yeah, and um, I think, that, like you say, the usefulness of inviting help into your world, I, I think it's essential too um, and trying to think about what is most useful about inviting someone into your world to have these conversations. And I really think objectivity is something yeah. that is is crucial because when you're in your own world, in your own head and and getting a negative feedback loop, it's so hard to step outside of that. Um, and your Absolutely. fears become entirely rational. They, they make perfect sense to you. They're so evidence-backed. Um, yeah. When you have someone outside of you who's not invested in your story or has no agenda other than to serve you, well, then they're able to bring objectivity and say, well, that actually doesn't make any sense. And uh, have you considered all these other things you can't see? And, uh, mm. yeah, so I think that's... It's it's so true what you say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, you know, as a coach, and I know as a coach, you know, I'm amazed at how much clarity I have about somebody else's life. <laughs> you know, you just see it all so clearly um, exactly. because of that yep. objectivity. Um, but you know, we don't see ourselves clearly, and so I think no matter how far along we go, you know, we always need that um, that objective um, objective voice. Yeah, absolutely. Any other practices, rituals? or anything else that you think would, is really important that we haven't touched on in terms of this whole conversation of solving the insecurity yeah. problem in your life? Um, 
I guess, you know, my faith is my is the most important thing. So I guess one thing that I do is, you know, constantly hold my thinking up and go, Well, is this who God says I am? Um yeah. and so that's that's a very key part of, of my my own reflection. Um but I think you know, I think the key thing for me and the key takeaway um was really getting to that point where I understood that I have to take ownership of my self esteem. Um, mm. and I had was very conscious that I had delegated that to everybody else in the world. Um, yeah. and it, it's actually my responsibility. My self esteem is my responsibility. Um, yeah. it's not anybody else's. And that was just a huge shift. And I guess the outcome of that is that, you know, my relationships are different because, I'm not looking um, on a good day. Um, you know, we're all human. I'm on the journey still. But, you know, I'm not looking for other people um, to constantly prop me up, make me feel good, yeah, um, yeah. validate me. Um, I can speak my truth and in a way that, that keeps relationships intact, you know, when that's possible. But, um, but, but it's just really, really changed. I know that... Um, as a result, you know, I'm a better coach. I couldn't have, I couldn't be a successful coach or even a facilitator without ha- without dealing with those, those people pleasing roots. Because all I would tell you is what you wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Because I wouldn't dare to risk re- your rejection. Uh, and and as a as a parent, you know, I've got four sons aged between 15 and 24. Um, you know, and I'm much more resourceful for them because I'm not about people pleasing and keeping them happy. Um, I'm able to love and connect at a deeper level, and you know, speak the truth that I need to speak sometimes as a parent. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so cool. Um, such a wonderful conversation with you, Sally. You brought a lot of value, and from your from your own journey, which makes it even more valuable rather than just sprouting out some ideas that you've heard or read. So I, I really value that and appreciate you sharing. So honestly, I'm sure our audience will find that uh, yeah, really useful. So thank you again. We'll leave the conversation here. I'll make sure that uh, the books that you've mentioned and uh, and that there's a, a link to your TEDx presentation and your profile. So where, where can people go find you? Say, where's the best place for people to, to uh, engage you or look you up? Um, well, there's my website, sallydooley.com, um, or my email. I keep things very simple, sally at sallydooley.com. Uh, so, very good. Um, yes, absolutely. And, Jamie, thank you for the uh, opportunity to talk today. And, again, and you know, thank you for being an amazing coach and being a very important um, part of this journey for me as well. My absolute pleasure. That's great. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30-day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp. It combines high-quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jamonfraser.com.